Hey, good morning. Hey, it's a privilege to be here this morning. It was fantastic yesterday. I'm, I, I was uh, wasn't sure what I was um, what I was coming to speak at, to be honest with you, because I get a lot of uh, 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 meetings. I do a lot of engagements and conferences and different things, and uh, I kind of um, I pulled up in a car park. And I was like, I was talking to the, the missus and I was saying like, um, yeah, I said, I'm t- I've arrived at the church, but it looks like it's like people going to watch a football game. There were some um, interesting characters out there, weren't there? And I'm thinking, this isn't the usual Christian kind of conference. And uh, I should have read a bit more detail what I was coming to, but uh, it was fantastic. And to see that many people respond to the gospel, what a privilege. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to share. And uh, whether I'm sharing in front of three or four little kiddies or out on a football stadium in front of thousands of people, it's a privilege to uh, serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth. So I'm part of an organisation called Tough Talk and uh, we are a Christian charity and uh, we travel up and down this country going into prisons like Barry and schools and different things. And uh, I actually, it was, I, I started the ministry in 95. Arthur joined me in 97 and thought, he was the clever one, he formed it into the charity. So Arthur formed the charity, but I was actually on the road since 1995 and we brought out a book called Tough Talk around 99. And it was a red one, you're right. I, yeah, you got the answer. Uh, but about, I don't know, some years later, uh, we, uh, it kind of went brown or gr- anyway. So I, I've got a few of my books out there. Anyone who want to buy one of my books with my story? And, and there's a, some hoodies and t-shirts. Any money we raise goes to the work of the charity. So if you want to buy that, I haven't got a lot there. So if you want to buy one of those, please help, uh, get one of those. Um, don't help yourself, but help yourself with a, help yourself with a fiver. It is, a, a, as I said, a privilege to be here today. Um, Should we pray? Can I pray? Quickly, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We welcome your spirit here today. Father, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Lord, bless us this morning. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, I've um, been in this position of uh, traveling with Tough Talk for all these years. And there aren't many... Um, evangelists that consistently have done what we do, I've seen, but Barry is one of them, and as he said, I've only met him really personally, I think, this weekend, I don't know if we might, but usually, as he said, we're usually bouncing around at different gigs, and particularly in the prisons where he's just come, or I've come, and uh, I would say, please pray for Barry. I know it's your home church, but uh, I, 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 you don't underestimate, you can't, it's a difficult job, evangelism. You're on your own, it's a lonely road, and uh, you come under a lot of uh, difficult times. I've been through hell and back in in nearly 30 years of doing this stuff, and uh, so please pray for him. I really respect what he does, and keep him in your prayers. Um, My... um my, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I, I've, I'm going to read from the scriptures quickly. If you've got your Bible, does anyone have Bibles or is it all on mobile phones? So you've got a Bible, look, hardcore, well done. Uh, a lot of people have their phones now. The problem with the phones is you end up answering your texts and things, don't you? Uh, so I'm going to read quickly from the book of John. And it's uh, chapter 20. And it's 24 I'm going to read from. John 20, 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except 
I shall see in his hands at the print of nails and put my finger into the print of nails and thrust my hand into his side, I shall not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, reach hither your finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believe. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Thou hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet they have believed. Thank you for your word, Lord. We just... Uh, I was a doubting Thomas. I was very sceptical as a young man. I grew up in uh, East London. They're the best football club in the, in the country, West Ham United. Now, I had a pal in here yesterday, um, Paul, and I was a bit surprised because he was, he was out of his seat when I mentioned West Ham. And when I come this far up, I don't normally get anyone on my side, you know what I mean? And, uh, but he was cheering me on. And, um, but yeah, I grew up right next to Upton Park as a young fella. And I actually got involved in a strange sport of bodybuilding. And uh, I can remember walking into a bodybuilding gym as a young guy and uh, training with the weights. And I started to compete as a bodybuilder at 18 years of age. And I don't know if you've ever seen a bodybuilding competition before, but bodybuilders stand on a platform a little bit like this in a little pair of swimming trunks and they we we used to call them posing briefs they were a little bit like a speedo and I had a red pair of blue pair and I remember I had for, for the finals I had a silver shimmering pair of posing briefs and I would put all of my body and stand there showing off my physique with the rest of the fellas. And uh, I took it very seriously. You used to put baby oil on and stuff like that. It was all a, a serious thing for me. And I remember one time I won this junior south coast of Britain. And I came back to East London where I was training. And I remember I was in this gym called Wag Bennett's. And a, a local paper, the Newham Recorder, came to the gym to take some pictures of me. And I can remember putting this trophy in front of me. And uh, I was pumping up beforehand. I took it all seriously and putting the baby oil on myself and doing these muscle poses for this photographer and uh, we had a little conversation he said what kind of food do bodybuilders eat I said I eat a lot of eggs mate he said how many eggs do you eat I said about 15 to 20 eggs a day he said oh that's disgusting how do you do that I said I drink them raw five at a time he said he made some notes I made the center pages of the Neurom Recorder and I'm doing this muscle pose in the middle of the paper and uh, the headlines went something like this, uh, extra strong Ian, <laughs> eat 7,000 eggs a year and he mugged me off, he put eggs all over the paper and I was pointing to a subhead in my, I was doing this muscle pose like this and, uh, and I was pointing to a subhead and I said, this is no yoke. And I made a vow to myself that day that I would never tell anyone anything about my life again. But for uh, nearly 30 years now, I've been travelling up and down this country and other countries, going into prisons and schools and drug rehabs and street outreaches, sharing my story in the hope that I may communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only purpose and reason I do it. I'm not a trained speaker. I'm not that. I'm not a great sociable person. I just know that God has comes upon me and gives me the gift to speak and loses my tongue that I may proclaim the gospel. Um, I have had a privilege of doing that for so many years and it's a privilege to be here today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, 
I um, got involved in the bodybuilding in a bad way. I don't know if you've ever heard of anabolic steroids, but I was sitting in the gym one day and my pal said to me, Ian, if we're going to win competitions, we need to get on the steroids. Steroids are a synthetic hormone. I can remember for eight years of my life, I abused and misused the drug uh, of steroids and I paid the price for that. I ended up in hospital. I had high blood pressure, all sorts of problems. I was damaging my kidneys, urinating blood. I was cheating in my sport and I'm not proud of any of that stuff. I've been clean for 30 years, uh, but I still suffer even after all these years. I will still wake up one day and I'll still be having problems with my kidneys. I've damaged them. Um, but by God's grace, I'm alive and, uh, and still with us. If you abuse anything, the, the, the consequence of that abuse is it can destroy your life. One of the biggest drugs in the prisons is actually anabolic steroids. It's a massive thing. So when I go, quite often when we go into the prison, we go into the gymnasium and we'll have like a hundred fellas there and we'll do a bit of a talk about the steroids, the dangers of that, and then communicate the gospel with them. So that's part of what we do as Tough Talk. Um, my, uh, my sport and my decisions I was making would destroy my life as a young man. The people you keep company with affect you, don't they? And uh, I can remember keeping company with these bodybuilders in, and gangsters in gyms in East London. And it was a kind of a dark, seedy world. We were involved in selling the drugs. Um, and I'm sitting in the gym one day in a gym called in Bow, East London. And there was this scary fella that used to scare the life out of me. They used to call him Mad Dog. He had a chewed up face, a chewed up ear, no tooth. And he, he really was the ugliest bloke I've ever seen. This is the truth, even today. And he's pulled me aside one day. He says, Ian, Ian, he says, uh, he said, do you want to work with me on the door tonight? And I can remember looking at him thinking, not if I end up looking like you. You know what I mean? I, I, uh, but uh, and he said, and I, you can see I was a bit concerned. He said, I'll give you double bubble, boy, if you come out with me. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and double the money. I remember thinking, I'll just do it once. Do you know what I mean? Can't be that bad, can it? And uh, so I went and worked with this fella. He picked me up from the gym. He took me down to this boozer in Roman Road, East London. Now, they used to call them bouncers. They call them door supervisors today. Did you know that? And if you want to be a door supervisor now, you pay a bit of tax, do some training, do a bit of a first aid and health and safety, get a license. You ever seen them of you? They wear their little badges on their arms, don't they? But back in those days, there was no CCTV cameras, no mo, you know, no phones with cameras on, and and, and it was all skullduggery. It was all ducking and diving. There was no tax to pay or anything like that. And I went to work with this fellow. I remember sitting in his car, and they were sitting outside this pub, and he's looking at me. He said, uh, he said. Ian, stick this in your jacket. You, you're going to need this later. And he pulled out a small um, truncheon, like a rounder's back with black gaffer tape on it. And I thought, what have I, what have I got myself into? And uh, I panicked a bit. I put it in my coat. He says, here, boy, I'm going to introduce you to the fellas you're working with tonight. And he took, me up to the, he took me up to the front of this club. He says, here, this is uh, Dave the Bus. I'm like, all right, Dave, how are you? And he said, this is One-Eyed Mark. Mark. And I found myself over the next eight years of my life working with these fellas and they'd come out of a gang that was part of something called the ICF, which was a bunch of football hooligans that were running clubs and raves back in the 80s and early 90s and they were getting into all sorts of nonsense. And I found myself at one point wanting to be a bodybuilding, powerlifting champion to suddenly getting out of control with these bunch of hooligans and living a violent and crazy life. Uh, I started to lose the capacity 
need to love and be loved. I had a lot of mental health issues that started to develop. I lived with a lot of fear and paranoia. Remember, I used to sleep with a carving knife hand under my pillow out of fear who was coming through my door. I would barricade myself in a little flat. I was living in a little bed, sit down in Romford Road. And uh, fear started to grip my life. I couldn't walk outside my house without having weapons on me. I couldn't sleep at night at one point. I would uh, paranoia and, and darkness and bad thoughts in my head. I remember getting involved in a fight out in this nightclub out in a, a place called Ilford. It was called the Ilford Pally. And uh, I, 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 it was me and another group of doormen. I was a two-door group clashing in this bar. And, uh, and we come off worse. I got ammonia squirted in my face. Uh, I got uh, bashed up a bit, ended up in hospital. And a colleague of mine had a pickaxe handle smashed across his head and took out his skull. And he ended up in hospital with me. And they had emergency operations on that fellow. They said it was only because of the size of him he was still alive. And they put metal plates in his head. They put metal plates around his skull. They wired his jaw up. He lost, he had partial sight in his eye. He lost the hearing in this ear and he was uh, uh, on liquid food for weeks and weeks and weeks and he had a, a gap now in the bottom part of his teeth that you could almost put your little finger through. And this fella's name was Ez Tell. And Ez and me at the time were not just doing the doors, we was doing a little bit of deck collecting during the day. And it wasn't regulated by the Office of Fair Trade, if you know what I mean. And, and I'm trying to get hold of Ez. And in uh, those days, you couldn't Snapchat and, and text and Instagram and all that. You had to, if they didn't answer their house phone, you'd have to go and knock on the door, wouldn't you? So he was living in a flat in East London. I went round to his flat and I knocked on his door. He took me upstairs and he sat me in his front room and he, he, we were sitting in darkness. He had the blinds closed. And he started to tell me about the pain he was going through, the depression he was going through, all the, all the stuff that was going on in his life. He started talking about revenge. He wanted to sort these fellas out and he was spitting anger and he was telling me how vulnerable he felt. If he walked outside the door, his head was now like glass. He said, I, can't, I don't feel like I want to live anymore. And he told me about the injuries I couldn't see, couldn't hear. And I'm thinking, I'm just coming for a bit of work. I'm not a counsellor. I don't know what to do with this guy. And then he did something I really wasn't expecting because this fella's like a six foot five nightclub doorman selling guns in East London. And then suddenly he broke down and started to cry. Now, I'm not a comforting, counselling sort of a bloke, you know. Uh, I would never make a pastor. I'm not geared up that way. I couldn't, I'm not great at that sort of stuff. And I didn't really know what to say to this fella. Uh, but I found these words coming out of my mouth. I said to him, uh, why don't you come to church with me? I thought, what was that? <laughs> He's looked at me going, church, you ain't got enough problems as it is. What are you talking about church for? I says, mate, please don't think I've lost the plot. You see, I, didn't, I wasn't a Christian. I, I was a sceptical young man. I, I doubted everything, particularly anything to do with supernatural stuff. And, and I, I thought, why did I? And I'm sitting there, I said, listen, and I'm panicking, really. I said, recently, I said, you're not going to believe this, but recently I had these dreams about God. And this God was like lightning coming out of the sky and I was like ashamed of my life and I was like, it was like a nightmare and I told a pal on the door, you know this fella and he, I said he took me to this church to be honest with you, I thought it was a cult, I didn't really know what it was it was an Ealing Pentecostal church down in a place called Canning Town, East London I don't know if anyone knows London but if you know Canning Town, DHL did, never used to deliver there, you know they, they used to put padlocks on their dustbins in Canning Town, you know, it wasn't the sort of place you find a church, you know, and uh, I can 
remember uh, he took me to this place and I thought it was strange. They were, they were waving flags, <laughs> clapping their hands and dancing on a Sunday morning. And uh, I was just, I was sitting there. I remember I had a black eye and a pair of dark shades on, hiding my, uh, my wounds from a few weeks before, sitting at the back thinking, what am I doing here? I never felt so uncomfortable. I've got to be honest with you, I didn't like the Christians. I thought they were all brainwashed. I thought they were smiling and happy. What's wrong with these people? And I made a vow I was never going to go back. I told my pal, it's not for me, thank you very much. But there I was in front of my pal Ez, telling him this story. I said, because at the end of this meeting, they called people at the front and they were praying for them. And they said, if you're sick, come forward. We're going to pray for the sick. I said, maybe those lot can help you. I don't know why it was coming out of my mouth. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, going on. And he's looking at me. It, 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 it kind of did a trick, really. It stopped crying because he was like blubbering at one point. And he's looking at me and he's like, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to make my exit very quickly. I says, Ez, I'll see you later, mate. I'm standing on a nightclub door. I was a head doorman in this club in North London at the time. A car pulled up with some very dangerous individuals in that car. And one of them was my pal. He got out, he pulled me aside, he said, Ian, I need to talk to you. And we went round the corner of this nightclub and he started to tell me the same stuff. But now he's adding the fact that he was getting these guys shot that had done this. He was telling me all about the crimes that were going to be committed. And then he suddenly broke down again. And then he said to me this, he said, Ian, it's suicide or church. That's how hard it is for many in East London to get to church. He said, suicide or church. I said, mate, if it's that bad, I'll, I'll take you there myself. Now, I thought all Christians were dodgy geezers who wore sandals and socks and sung kumbaya and things like that. I had no desire to be associated with Christ or Christianity. But I remember picking him up. I don't even slept. If you work on the door... 10 o'clock in the morning is not good for you, you know, on a Sunday. And I hadn't even slept. I went and picked him up, took him to this church. And the fellow that I took, who took me there the first time, his name was Marcus. I told Marcus I was never coming back again. Now this church used to meet in a school building and there were windows that you could see uh, the car park. And we pulled up in the car park. And, I'm, and I remember Marcus looking, because not only am I coming back, I'm bringing people with me. I'm a God-hating evangelist. <laughs> I didn't believe in God. If there is a God, where is he in my life? Mum's always drunk, don't know my dad. Everything's wrong in my life. Where, I want to get a break. Where's God in my life? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? I was very sceptical. God, I can't believe in Jesus. You know, what's all that business about uh, uh, Jonah getting swallowed in a whale? And what's all that business about seas opening up? I can't have all this stuff. I can't believe in that. I'm not having that. Jesus walking on water. I, just, I didn't know really anything. I just thought, I'm not having it. But I remember him looking at me and I'm bringing this Ez in there and they were singing the songs again. I've got to be honest with you, I wanted to flee. I didn't want to be there. I didn't, want to, I didn't like the music, didn't like the people. I wanted to leave. But I remember sitting through it and I thought, we'll get through the end. They can put, do their praying. I didn't think anything was going to happen. And at the end of the meeting, they didn't pray for anyone. They got us a cup of coffee. And I found myself standing there with three or four blokes having a cup of coffee. And my pal was with us. And, uh, and there was a guy there called Tony. And Tony said, we're going to a meeting on Wednesday night. Do you want to come? I thought, church twice in one week. What's wrong with these fellas? 
But I remember my pal, Ez, went, yeah, I'll come to that. I ducked out of it. I said, look, I'm working, which was the truth. I can't come to that. But my pal, Ez, says, yeah, I'll come to that. They went to this meeting in a place called Kensington Temple down in uh, Knightsbridge, down in Notting Hill Gate. And, uh, and uh, they went from East London on the Central Line. And they took my pal, Ez, and on this train journey, they were chatting to Ez and they were saying to him, listen, there is a God and we believe he can help, he can help you. But you can't, you've got to forgive the people that have done this. Now, Ez hadn't told me he was arranging for him to get shot or anything like that. He was just telling them how bad he felt about him. And they said, you've got to forgive them. And Ez said to me, you know what, I thought these fellas were the enemy. Who are they to tell me I've got to forgive them? But he said, you know what, I went to walk into that church and I looked up and I thought, God, if you're, if you're real and you can really help me, I will forgive the people that have done that. He said, I went and sat at the back of this church. Now, Kensington Temple holds a lot of people. It's a, a busy, and I think in those days, it was like a 4,000, 5,000 membership. And uh, he said, I sat at the back so I could make a quick exit, you know. And uh, he said, the guy who was preaching, he was an American guy. I found out later, his name was Charles Slagle. And he got my pal to stand up and he started to speak into his life. In that Christian world, they call it words of knowledge and stuff. And he started to tell him about the, his life and about the, the injuries he was suffering and the pain he was going through. Ed said to me, at that point, I thought, that Tony must have stuck him a few quid, you know. He said, I know this scam must work. They're after my money. I'm holding my pockets tight. He said, and then he said something that just took me by surprise. He says, son, the Lord says, thank you for forgiving the people that done this. He said, at that moment, I felt like a chill going up my back. He said, I thought, what is going on? He said, receive your healing now in Jesus' name. He said, people started putting their hands on me. He said, Ian, I felt like I was plugged into an electric socket. I felt like sweat rushing down me. Smell was coming off of me. He said, uh, something was moving in my head. He said, I felt a tingling in my eye. My ear popped, my jaw started to move. All I know is I was working that night. That's the truth. I got home. I had a phone call. It was my powers. He said, Ian, Ian, he said, Jesus has healed me. Yeah. That wasn't my response, that's the truth. I, I, I kind of thought he's had a bit too much rum. He's had a little, done a bit of something else, you know. And uh, I remember, he's, yeah, all right, pal, I'll come and see you tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I went round his house the next day and I remember walking up to his place and uh, he, he, he opened the door and he took me by surprise. He had a smile. I'd never seen him smile before. Uh, it looked like it was painful, really. He took me upstairs and, and he looked different. The swelling had gone down and he started to tell me the whole story I just told you. He said, look at my teeth, Ian, they're together. He said, I can see out of my eye, I can hear out of my ear. Seeing is believing, I used to say. If I could see something, I might believe it. If there's a God, show yourself to me. I never saw anything supernatural in my life. Do you know what? At that point, I could see he looked different because I see him a couple of days before. I'm listening to his story, but I couldn't have it. I thought, I can't have this. I can't believe this. This can't be true, can it? And it got worse for me because he went around telling my pals, Ian took me to church <laughs> and Jesus healed me. And I, I can remember like, oh man, this is bad news. I said, this is it's good for you, you know, but you want to keep it down. They're going to think we've lost the plot, you know what I mean? I can remember, I said, at least keep me out of the story. And he never did. He wrote a book about this story. It's called, I'm Asking You Nicely. And uh, big picture of his face on the front. I nearly said ugly face, but yeah, he's not that bad. But um, he's a minister at the moment, sharing the gospel down in East London, helping the, uh, the he's still going on with the Lord. 
I couldn't get this out of my nut. I couldn't get this out of my head. I remember driving home one night from a club. I was uh, out on bail with a seven-year prison sentence hanging over my head, selling steroids, involved in all sorts of violence and crime, everything. I'm ashamed uh, to even tell you. I deserved hell. I deserved prison. I deserved everything that anyone could throw at me. I was a nasty young man. And I remember sitting in my car thinking, God, if you can do that, I just could I couldn't believe it. Every day I was expecting his, to, his jaw to suddenly collapse again, but it didn't. He kept getting stronger and stronger. He got himself baptised. even invited me. I thought I'd duck out of that one as well. I couldn't get it out of my head. God, are you real? If you're real, this is serious stuff. And I was in such a mess. I remember sitting on a road called the North Circular. I just finished work. It was about four o'clock in the morning, turned the engine off, sitting in my car. And I remember saying, Jesus, if you're there, can you sort me out? And as I said that, I suddenly felt guilty for a fight I'd just been involved in. And I remember, and I had never felt guilty for years and years. And I remember suddenly saying, Jesus, if you're real, would you forgive me for what I'd just done? Forgiveness is so crucial to the gospel, to receiving Christ. It's like a door that you need to open up. You need to forgive. And I remember saying, will you forgive me for what I just done? And as I said that, I just suddenly felt this incredible peace, this tingling all over me. I just suddenly felt like my heart was cracking. The Bible says he'll turn our hearts of stone into flesh, pour his spirit in there. I remember feeling this incredible sense of peace and, and, and as if everything was going to be all right. I'd had paranoia, fear for years now. I didn't feel, I couldn't sleep properly at night. I couldn't go to bed. I went home that night and I had a miracle. I fell asleep for the first time in weeks and I actually slept through the whole night I woke up the next morning thinking wow I've slept I remember waking up thinking wow I couldn't even I didn't even know what shirt to put on most of the times let alone have a good night's sleep there was no peace I wanted peace there was no peace he is the prince of peace he came and conquered death there was a darkness there was voices in my head I used to go to bed with voices in my head I felt this deliverance coming off of me like his big cloak being lifted from me he's the king of kings and lord of lords he set me free he took this darkness away from me there is a kingdom of darkness there is a kingdom of light I didn't realise I was in that kingdom of darkness but he came and he conquered it in my life I remember this depression this anxiety now I didn't wake up like a Cheshire cat and have a permanent grin I felt this joy inside me. I can remember thinking, I need to get back to that church. I went down to that church in Town. I remember walking and thinking, I sat there, I thought, actually, everyone's, why, why did I dislike these people so much? They actually look quite nice people, you know? And the music started. I expected to feel like I needed to run again, but I sat there thinking, wow, the music's awesome. And I was singing the words. I remember tears coming down my face. You know, it's a spiritual thing. Do you know how hard it is for people to walk through that door? Do you know there's a, it's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness? I wanted to run when I, before, I was, uh, before I became born again. I wanted to run out of that building. I thought everything looked weird and strange to me. But it was because there was something dark inside me trying to get me out. But when I came to faith, when the Lord touched my heart, I suddenly looked around and thought, these people actually look nice people. This music is awesome. I didn't understand the, the gospel particularly, but we used to sing gospel songs in those days. You remember? And, and soon I started to catch up and I bought myself an illustrated Bible, a children's Bible, so I could catch up with some of the stories. And I made a decision I was going to believe everything in there. I was no longer going to be that doubting Thomas. But if God said it, I was going to believe it. Because if he could transform my life and take away that fear and that paranoia, then he is the real deal. 
And if he says it, I'm going to believe it. And so I decided to make a choice. I would believe it. Even if I couldn't understand it, I would believe it. And I would trust in him and make him Lord of my life. I got rid of the steroids. I got rid of the guns. I got rid of all the violence. Not by my strength, but by his strength alone. I felt the strength to, to, to live a decent life. Has it been easy? No, I've been through hell and back in 30 years. I've had a hard time at times, but I've got that peace and that joy. I can go to bed at night and sleep. He's not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. I was out in a prison in South Africa with Arthur, and we were spending a and tough talk, and we was out there doing missions work and stuff, uh, and, and working particularly with the numbers gangs. And I can remember um, uh, sharing this one afternoon with this one particular... So I've done prisons all over the world, from Russia to Philippines, India, uh, Africa, all across the States, Canada, doing prison work and orphanages and drug rehabs and churches. And I've done beach outreaches, ski outreaches, I do fun days. I don't know why church invite us to fun days. <laughs> we come up with the weights, we have a bit of fun, but I talk about heaven and hell. I talk about judgment, repentance, the cross, the blood. I don't, you know, it's not that fun, is it? There's a, you know, do you know what I mean? I follow the Morris dancers or the, the pigeon display sometimes, you know, it's like, I always wonder why they invite us, but um, we do a strongman competition or something and preach the gospel. I remember in this prison, I'm, I'm sharing away and we had some questions and answers at the end. And there was a fella at the front and he says, he started asking a lot of questions. And this particular little section of this, this prison was um, a really notorious little group that we were with and most of them were never coming out apparently. And this fella at the front put up his hand. He said, uh, I've got a question to you. And he's pointing at me. I said, yes, mate, what is it? He said, how did you get out of the gang? I said, well, look, the gang I was in is very different from the gangs you're in. These gangs are serious businesses out there. You know, they, they tattoo their faces with their gang, gang colours. In fact, I think they literally sear this stuff on their skin. They take out their teeth. They do all crazy stuff. And uh, I remember saying it's a different kind of um, gang. It was more like a firm. I was trying to explain to him, but I said, do you know what? For me in the UK, it was very easy because when I started telling my pals about Jesus, they soon left, you know? If you want to get rid of someone out of your life, you'll know this, Barry. Talk a lot about Jesus and they go, don't they? You know what I mean? Hey, you got someone who's giving you a bit of grief at work. Talk a lot about Jesus. <laughs> I remember, he didn't know what I was talking about. It's a different world out there. He said, look, the, the question I really have for you is, is, I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. I believe this and I want to be a Christian, he said. He said, but if I become a Christian today, I will not be alive in the morning. What have you got to say to that? I said, that's a bit serious, mate. Why is that? He said, uh, he said I run the numbers gang. I run the gang in this prison that runs the gangs in this prison. And if I become a Christian, I understand I would have to renounce the gang, turn away from the gang and accept Jesus Christ as Lord. I it will cost me my life. I will not be here in the morning. What have you got to say? I was like, man, that's a tough question, isn't it? I was looking thinking, I don't know what to say. Normally, I can sort of blag things, but I was a bit sort of like, I've travelled all this way. I've been sleeping kind of rough for about a week um, because I want people to come to faith because I believe in eternity. I believe that, you know, fix your eyes on things that are unseen, not things that are seen. Things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are eternal, aren't they? I, I believe in the eternal. I believe that God has given us eternal life. I want to share this to this guy. I want him to come to faith, not to join the club, not, not to get prosperous and wealthy, but it's eternal life. It's life or death. It's serious business. 
You know, they're never going to come out, really. He's telling me he's going to lose his life. I thought, that's a bit serious. How do I answer that? I don't want to be the one that's responsible for his life disappearing overnight. And I was looking at him, trying to blag it a little bit, rubbing the chin, you know, like you do. Now, my pal Arthur, apparently we were there about 17 years ago on that stage over there. Was anyone there that long ago? Yeah, do you remember that, do you? Yeah, fantastic, with the weights. My mate Arthur, he says, Ian, do you mind if I answer that question? I said, yeah, please do, Arthur. It's all yours, mate. I haven't got a clue what to say. Arthur stepped forward. He said, listen, son, it's like this. He said, because of the abuse of steroids and cocaine, I've got metal shoulders, metal hips, metal knees. I've had five operations on my heart. My heart beats too fast. It's too big. And I've been told I could die at any moment. I've got to have another operation when I get back to the UK. I've been told not to travel. I shouldn't even drive. Shouldn't be it. He said, I could die of a heart attack or stroke. Arthur's now had eight operations. He's got two or three machines keeping the thing going, you know? He said, it's like this, even though I could die at any moment, I'm in a win-win situation. He said, because if I live, I'm going to be with the Lord. He said, if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. He said, son, we live inside a body and that body will go one day. That's our guarantee. We will die. He said, and we're going to face our maker. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is a heaven, there is a hell. Jesus Christ died upon the cross. We sung about his hands being pierced for our sins. And, and we, I just read our, our Thomas literally doubted. He would refuse to believe, even though his best pals are telling him they've seen the resurrection, they've seen Jesus alive. Unless I see it, unless I can touch it, unless I can put my hands in it, I can't believe. But God's grace and mercy, the awesomeness of God, met with Thomas and showed him himself. And he said, uh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, but blessed are those who believe that don't see and won't see. I've been blessed that I've had an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit because I would have been in hell by now if that hadn't have happened. That's where I was going. That's why I deserved. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. All have fallen short of God's standards. None of us are perfect before God. Our best efforts are like filthy rags. You don't have to have had a lifestyle like me or like Barry to need forgiveness, to need repentance. Let me tell you, even our best efforts, our religious efforts are like filthy rags, the Bible says. It's the holiness of God that cannot tolerate sin. My pal Arthur said to this fellow, he said, we shall all die. When I die, I'm in a win-win situation. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They bowed their heads and they prayed and this fellow received Christ in tears that day. I don't know where you're at, but I want to say a quick prayer for you this morning as we finish up. I'm probably running over time. So I want to ask you if you'd bow your head with me so I can pray for you. God is the God of the living. My mum passed away this year. Born again, I shall see her again. My sister passed away this year. Born again, I will see her again. I do not grieve like the rest of the world. Why? Because she is alive. You will face death one day. The judgment seat of Christ is that if we die in our sins, we will be punished in hell. The Bible says hell is for the devil and his angels, but we shall, for those that fall short of his standards, that's the truth of it. But God, like a rescue boat, is here this morning. Look to the cross where our Saviour died, shed his blood, that we may have eternal life. 
If you do not know him, or you're backslidden, or there's doubts and fears, or unbelief, or anger and bitterness, unforgiveness, you know you need to get right. If you was to pass away today, you don't know quite where you'd be. If you haven't got God's spirit in your heart, I want to ask you to pray this prayer, and at the end, we'll say amen. In fact, well, why don't we say it out aloud together? Why don't we say that out together? Follow me in this prayer and we'll say this. Even if you're a Christian, why don't you repeat this after me? And if you're praying this for the first time or you want to get right, just pray this and at the end we'll say amen. Repeat this after me out loud. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. That I repent and turn from them. I ask your spirit to come into my heart, to cleanse me, that I'd be forgiven, washed and clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head stay bowed. If that is you, if you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. If you've responded in any way, I'm going to ask you quickly to raise your hand for me so I can see you, so I can pray for you. God bless 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 you. Bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else before I pray, you've responded today, your heart is beating, you know that is you. You haven't yet raised your hand. You want to do that. Quickly raise your hand with those that have. Quickly, if there's, God bless you. I see you, my love. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. I see you. Anybody else before I pray? Father God, I thank you for your mercy, your grace, your mercy on us. Father, I pray for those that have responded today. Protect the seeds that have been sown. Watch over them. Lord, let them, be, let them grow in the faith. Let them be attached to the body. Let them confess Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. Father, we pray for them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you.